So I just say get a lot of bids and get good recommendations. All right, man. It's good advice. All right, well, let's do this then. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> That's tangent number one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Faith Podcast for August 2022. I'm your host, Jonathan Butrin, and I am rejoined at long last by everyone's favorite reverend, Tim Nelson. Tim, so great to have you back. I missed you. I, I miss you too, man. It's it's good to be back. It was good to be away. Good to be back. I listened to the that podcast with uh, Dan Baker. Man, that guy knows his stuff. He does. Yeah. A huge, huge shout out to Dan Baker. He filled in for you kind of at the last minute. I wasn't even expecting him to accept, and he did phenomenal. And he, we, I, you know, he defended himself against our hurtful Temple of Doom comments. He's still and- wrong, but he did. He mounted <laughs> an excellent defense, just like you should always have if you're guilty. You should still have a very good defense. That's exactly right. But no, he was fantastic. And I, you know, it's just a nice to have a good backup in case, Tim, this ever happens again. I'm He's my first call because he, he did a great job. So thank you, Dan. We love yeah. you. You're the best. We love man. you. You're, yeah. you're the Marvel master in our universe. Absolutely. I think I just mixed concepts. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> but no, it's great to have you back. So why don't you tell our audience why you couldn't make it? I believe you traveled all over the world from your Facebook <laughs> Yes, we just basically, I went fishing a long time, uh, and then I actually uh, buried my dad, which I know it sounds like so dramatic, but uh, he he died about two and a half years ago, and we finally got the opportunity to all get together on his side of the family, and uh, some folks that couldn't make it out for the funeral before because of COVID. So that was Mm. actually really great, meaningful. So I did a lot of fishing, did that trip, drove out to Washington, and that was really cool. And then after that, went to my wife. His, she's like, we could go to Europe for the same price as Florida. So we went and ate, traveled in Europe, which is like, so we're spoiled. Okay. Especially me. So yeah. I'm uh, very spoiled, but had a great time. So where exactly did you hit? What, are, what were the highlights? Germany, right? I did a little Germany, a little Switzerland, a little uh, Netherlands, a little France. Awesome. So, That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You have a favorite of the countries you visited on the trip? No, they're all good for different reasons. And uh, the Netherlands is was just a trip. It was just mm. so weird. Yeah. So in it, and it got only got one morning in Amsterdam, unfortunately, because that's a pretty awesome city. Absolutely. Yeah. It was. It was all beautiful. It was all wonderful. It was super hot. They got a big drought going, and so uh. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like yeah, they're experiencing some pretty pretty rough stuff. But yeah, it was fun, man. It was all fun. It was the best parts hanging out with my wife and, you know, reconnecting and getting some time with just us. So that was very cool. Awesome. It's good to have you back. Did you have a chance in your travels to watch anything recently? Do you have anything for what have you been watching? So I, I have actually been because I've had I've been home for about a week. And so my and I have my kids here. So I've been uh, watching a lot of stuff because they can't all agree on anything. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so I just kick them out and have them go to the basement and they can watch what they want there. Darn right. But uh, I just finished watching uh, My Dinner with Andre. Have you heard of this film? I have not seen it, but I've heard so much about it. So you saw it for the first time? Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I looked, yeah, and I I checked it out online. I was like, oh yeah, this is a film that was you know put up by the New Yorker, which it totally yeah. feels that way. Yeah, but I thought it was it was a good film, so I saw that. And then um, what else have I been watching? I watched the uh, 
what's it? The Tender Bar, which is a George Clooney directed mm. film. Yeah, that's based how was on a that? Memoir. What did you think about that? It's all right. I always feel like George Clooney movies are like they're. It's like they got everything that they need, and then they don't fire in the right order. Like mm. something's off. Like Monuments Men was that way too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he directed that one. It's like he doesn't quite have the story arc. Like you gotta, and I think this is yeah. You've gotta. You can't just put all this stuff in a, and you know, he kind of, it feels gloppy to me. Does that okay. make any sense? Yeah. Which just like all the ingredients a, yeah. in a soup, but they're not like coming in the right. Yeah. It's not like prepared correctly. It's just like an ingredients list. It's yeah. not the actual dish. So I kind of feel that way about Clooney films. And so this, this kind of lived up to that low standard, but I thought it, it had some good acting. The concepts are okay, but uh, definitely just okay an okay film but you but we're, you know you can check it out got you know if you got nothing else to do check it out it's free on uh, amazon so you paid for it already basically if you have amazon all right well i'm gonna throw a little curveball into the mix because i always talk about tv in this segment but i actually saw a movie as well so i've got this friend of mine his name's john porter you should remember that name because he's an aspiring novelist and that guy's gonna Ooh. be famous someday i'm telling you nice. like he's got he's got mad talent but anyway, so what we do is once a month we get together, he shows me a movie and I show him a movie. And the movie he showed me is called The Day Trippers. I don't know if you ever heard of this. This was like a quirky indie comedy back in the 90s. It has Leif Schreiber and who else? Hope Davis, Parker Posey, Stanley Tucci. Any, this, I don't is know if it's a Lynch movie. No, this, is this no. a, uh, no, it's, is it uh, the first movie by what's his name? Linklater? No, it's not. But it has it sounds very, like it. <laughs> it has very link letter vibes for sure. But it's basically about this um, woman uh, played by Hope Davis, who's married to Stanley Tucci, and she gets this letter in the mail that is addressed to her husband, and it seems to be a love letter. And so then she and her family go into the city and try to track down uh, whether or not like uh, her husband is cheating on her. Is the is the basic plot? But it's not really like a plot driven movie. It's very link letter and how it's like it's really about the writing it's about the characters it's quirky it's funny but it's also like dramatic so it's really good and i thought it was just like a delightful film and it's only like an hour and 26 minutes so you can pop that baby on there's no huge commitment here you will love this movie and you should check it out and leave schreiber by the way is really funny and i didn't really like know that he had comedic chops i guess but like he is really funny in this he plays this writer speaking of writers and he he's like writing this novel about a guy who has a, a dog head like a head his head is a dog that's like his novel concept and he explains the yes. whole thing it's hilarious and he the, his character believes that not in the novel but the leaf schreiber's character believes that the ultimate system should be an aristocracy even though he's a construction worker and <laughs> this is good stuff <laughs> this is really good so you should check out some high some high and low to it <laughs> Right. So that's the one he showed you, Day Tripper, and would you show trippers. him? The Day Trippers. So actually, I usually do show him a movie that he hasn't seen, but we decided to watch one we both hadn't seen, which was The Card Counter with Oscar Isaac, which I did not like. I love Oscar Isaac. This was directed by Paul Schrader, written and directed by Paul Schrader, of course, of Taxi Driver fame and First Reformed and all that. And this was his latest movie, and it was not good. I did not like it at all. So, so was, was it the was it was it the plot itself or what was it? Because I yeah. usually like Schrader. I know, right? It was the. 
It was the fact that, like, it was just the characters. So he has this interesting character in Oscar Isaac, but then he starts, the character starts doing things that don't make any sense. And the way the path of the journeys of the characters go, like, really is unsatisfying. And just, yeah, it, it just did not work for me. Like all the rest of his plots. I guess. It's basically, but- <laughs> he, write, he writes people, like, disintegrating, usually, right? Right, which is fine. But, like, in First Reformed, it worked. In Taxi Driver, it worked. Like that, I have no problem with that concept. It's just when they start to do things that seem completely out of character from what you've previously established. And So is yeah. it about Blackjack? No, he's... That's the other thing. So he's... The movie is called The Card Counter, and there is poker in it, but it doesn't... That's not even the main point of the film. It's really about this whole other thing. And, uh, yeah, the card count... You, you kind of are seeing it to watch some good poker action and someone who's an expert at poker, but, like, those are the least exciting parts of the movie. Eh, it wasn't good. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It's You're okay. bumming me out now. I'm I just know. gonna leave. I'm just leaving. <laughs> but anyway, watch the day trippers. It's even a part of the Criterion Collection if you're a film snob and need further incentives. So there you go. All right, Timmy, here we go. We are ready to talk about a movie. We have both seen that movie, and that movie is Nope. 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 What a great title. I love it. So the first trailer dropped on this like a year ago, it feels like, because I remember seeing the bare bones, you know, teaser of like some crazy, possibly alien stuff. And then that big title card coming across Jordan Peele film. Nope. And you're like, there we go. Mark that one on the calendar. It's going to be an event, right? And yeah. yeah. And there's just something about that title, which by the way, I was listening to Smartlist, which is a podcast hosted by... Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes. It's really funny and awesome, and you should check it out. And they always have good guests. But anyway, they had Jordan Peele on, and I found out on that podcast that nope is a double meaning. First of all, of course, there's the standard, like, you know, you see something weird or scary, and you're like, uh, nope. And uh-uh. but, the, but, the, exactly. yeah, yeah. but the second meaning is it's actually an acronym. Do you think you can figure it out? It's uh, not, uh, not of... Think about aliens. Earth. Yes. Not of planet Earth. That is the alternate acronym. I, knew, of I was looking for like some UFO-y thing. <laughs> so I did all right there. You did good with the not of. I can't believe nice. you got that. Nice. It's awesome. So anyway, that's what, uh, there you go. That's the title. So before we dive deep into it, I want to start off by talking about Jordan Peele's first two films because Nope is only his third movie. So we're still in that phase of his career where you can like catch up and like know his filmography. So yeah. Tim, you've seen Get Out and Us. Have you seen both of them? His first two movies? I haven't seen Us, which is you that's not responsible of me, unfortunately. I don't that's think okay. I have. I, I definitely remember Get Out. I think I saw it in the theater. I don't know if we saw it together even. I don't think so. But what are your memories of Get Out? The grotesque uh, suburban white people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then this, he's really good at suspense. So I mm-hmm. remember the first scene, which would be instead of like a horror movie you would start out in the woods and you're and it would be some you know usually it would be like a white teenage girl in the woods like looking around and something's following her and then she gets murdered or whatever this is an african-american dude in the in the like upper class suburbs of the city and like it's the same vibe (laughs) that's what i remember is that how it was no that's how it is lakeith stanfield plays this guy walking around the suburbs and it's so creepy and then this car he's clearly on sale and then this car shows up with weird music and he's like nope and he's just like turns around starts walking (laughs) but you're right if like you instantly realize the suburbs are kind of creepy like think about it oh yeah 
Yeah. It's kind of Southern Gothic almost, some of his mm. stuff. Just the characters are like really just ultra grotesque. Not all the characters, but a lot of them. Yeah. Good. Well, I written and rewatched Get Out and Us because here's the thing, man. So I like, for whatever reason, was not on the Jordan Peele like bandwagon because I watched Get Out and I thought it was a little bit overrated. I don't know why. I don't know if I had a was in a bad mood that day or something. But like I gave it like a B, I think at the time. And but there was all this hype about it with and it was nominated for all these Oscars. So I was like, I don't understand why everyone thinks this is so great. It's just okay. But I rewatched it and I rewatched Us all in one night and. I get it now. Like, I get it. Like, they are great movies, and he is a great writer and director, and, like, it just, I don't know what was my my, my problem was, but I'm I'm on the Jordan Peele bandwagon now, Tim. I'm, and I apologize. That's good. Because I had some bad write-ups. Not bad, but, like, some lukewarm write-ups in my Oscars about the movie and stuff, so that's all on the website, so I'm sorry for that. It's just on there, but. I think it's hard to, like, kind of get you, because, like, when you, you have a certain, like, I, I think this is, like, horror film, because you're much more into that than I am. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't necessarily define his stuff as that. I'd almost define his as kind of suspense, grotesque suspense. He's more Hitchcock, actually. Oh, yeah, for sure. Although, yeah, Hitchcock, of course, better, but like still, I define him more that way. But like you get used to like what should happen or was that scary? You might ask that question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you might not get jump scare. You might not get scared in the moment and then you start thinking about one of these films later and you're like man that was scary yeah (laughs) that's that's like deep you know permeate your being scary it's a totally different kind of scary it's the kind of scary that lives in your head forever like yeah Uh i I was (laughs) re-watching it and like yeah i was really freaked out and because he just he does such a good job of suspense and dread but then behind that you have this razor sharp like social commentary that's not preachy like it's actually he's talking about things that just make you go yeah that's true and that makes me uncomfortable as a white person and like i see it in myself i see it in others because he like go you know i mean get out is all about basically all forms of racism from the very subtle forms closeted forms like you know i'd vote for obama three times if i could or whatever to like the more like obviously harvesting black bodies uh so yeah it kind of covers the gamut and that's just that's true horror right right? so so that was like you know like i'd think of that more like wicker man or something like Mm -hmm. in fact that's like very similar to that movie which is you go to some place that's like you haven't you're like they don't really do that here do they and then they do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> yeah. All of your like, worst fears those are, are just They're just myths, right? Oh, no, they're not just myths. Yeah. So it has that Wicker Man feel, which I think Wicker Man, the original Wicker Man, not, of course, the Cage yeah, one. Yeah, not the Nick Cage one. About. But if you want a good laugh, watch that compilation on YouTube. <laughs> Pretty funny. Um, but like it has that, has that sense to it where you're like, oh we are in this land of these, the evil, like witchy, like not us people mm-hmm. and it's and it just happens to be the suburbs <laughs> yeah the suburbs and he does a really good job of weaving humor into it without like that detracting from the horror like he, it's just a very good blend the tone he's on he has a good tone and so get out like is legitimately funny in parts as well as scary and the two don't negate each other yeah, so Get Out was fantastic, and I so I'm, I originally would have given it a B, and I've upgraded my grade since seeing it a few days ago to an A minus. I think that is a solid A minus movie. The only minus part is that I feel like the ending could have used one final 
punch or something like it just sort of ends like uh fizzles out in credits so like but a minus and then i watched us which also you should check out if you haven't because it's equally scary and Mm. you also have a whole like different kind of social commentary again it's not racism this time there's a little bit of that but it's mostly class in that one where you have uh basically like there's two versions of your everyone has another version of themselves and the other version of you is living underground and these dark like dank places and kind of like but they're connected to you and so and then the two versions of you meet in this movie and so like you have it's sort of about class it's about the privileged versus the you know those getting scraps and leftovers under the table basically is how what that movie's about and it's scary and really good and lupita nyango who is the main character in that movie is so good because she plays like two different characters, you know, the two different versions of herself. Right, right. And oh, she's great, man. So like, that's another great movie. And I also give that an A minus as well. So he knocked it out of the park with his first two films. I can catch up. I only got one. I only got one. That's and the I'm beauty of it. You're only one, one behind. Exactly. So get out and us definitely worth your time. Both a minuses for me and that. So I was super pumped going into Nope because I was like, yes, I get it now. I'm a Jordan Peele fan finally. And I was ready to watch it. So that gets into the reason we're here to talk about that. So, your theater experience, Tim. What was your theater experience for like for Nope? Did you go to your bowling alley theater again? Yeah, I, it's just so. I, I just it's so convenient. It's the only way. It's the only way, man. It's just there's nothing close to me besides that. That's okay. So and I've got a yeah, and I did it on a weekend. So my wife's well, you know, I don't want to like strand my wife for like half day. What it might take with a suit. So this theater, I got there on time, and I still sat in my seat for 25 minutes. <laughs> you, so, he texted me 25 minutes of previews. I love it. Yeah, and then they did the. Pre- previews then they said the future presentation will be here you had this happen right oh my gosh like i was so mad about for, this yeah, what happened so like the lights went down they're like here we go here's the movie and then all of a sudden there's like you know some flashing lights and i'm like what a weird way to start your movie jordan peele no 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 no. it's another trailer this time for oppenheimer the new christopher nolan movie but i didn't realize it was a trailer until like a minute in i just think there should be a moratorium on when those lights go down you should start there should only be the movie following that no no trailer no messages from tom cruise just the freaking movie well i could take i i would i'd like it if tom cruise introed all the movies i know you'd would, like that. that's egalitarian <laughs> so like just have him do like a general but nicole kidman does he's not yeah, like tom cruise isn't connected to the movie in any way and he just shows no. up and he's like thank you he's so like, much we did, we did this we did for it. you that's what he's gonna say and i'll go okay He's got that. He remember he's a, he's the last movie star, he so is. we can trust him. Oh, that's good. So that happened in your screening too. The same thing. Yeah, same Ugh. preview. And I get it that they're like trying to pump this Nolan movie, and and it does seem interesting. Okay, I I, I will see it. But why? What is interesting? Why is this an event? What what is it? Oppenheimer? So he created the nuclear bomb, right? Manhattan Project. The Manhattan right? Project. Yeah, yeah. So it, so that's interesting because basically it changed all of the world. Mm-hmm. And he's just through through uh, the work of a scientist. That's, mean, that's true. Pretty... And you think about like the nuclear like possibilities that are constantly in the news today. I mean, that is it's a huge deal. And the, how quickly it went from became a weapon that got that was used. I mean, like all this is like it's just got a lot of it's very interesting. So if you look at 
like what are the things that have impacted us in the last hundred years? That's definitely like, you know, that's gotta be in the top 10, right? Maybe top five. Yeah. Yeah. That we could base that we could destroy our, ourselves. Yeah. With one, a couple clicks of a button, like earth is done. We are all done. Right. Like it's right. too well, much power. Yeah, for quite a long time. Yeah. Yeah. But well, so that's, so that's right. a big deal. All right, fine, but still, not after the lights go down. Come on, come on. He just uh, he just developed a means to uh, destroy the Earth, and it's a real guy, and it's directed by Nolan. Come on, it's a good preview. Don't get me wrong. It's a good preview, I, but it's in the wrong spot. It's inappropriate place. That's exactly right. I you agree. Know? Thank you. It's like how I feel feel when they put the salad fork in the wrong spot. <laughs> no, <I'm joking. laughs> speaking no, there's of privilege. just one fork. Yeah, right. There's just one fork in my world, and it's you know. There's no spoons or anything even. <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right. So, hey, I went to see this with Dan Baker and because, oh, well, you. partly because, like, I was slightly worried, if I'm honest, Tim, that you were going to get back from Europe and be like, I can't, dude. I'm like, I'm spent. So I was worried that maybe you know, I'd have to go round two with Dan. So I was like, well, let's just go see the movie. We'll play it by ear. Uh, so anyway. See, this is why, <laughs> this is why uh, you're reliable, man. Because, look, you had, like contingency plans i did i did you you even have somebody to host that is you you have a back it's is your son gonna host it no okay, or, no <laughs> <laughs> you're all oh it'll be a cold day in a hot place in that <laughs> no um it's funny so anyway we went and saw this together and we went to the bistro plex i don't know if you ever went there when you were in milwaukee but it's pretty cool that you can order food from your seat and uh i always get the loaded cheese fries Where's at it's over at at like a mall maybe it's i want to say south ridge but that doesn't seem right no it's not that mall it's like a different like rundown like mall that like Uh, used to be it's like 20 minutes away i don't know exactly where it is but anyway it's a rundown mall yeah and so we went there and like they've got this little swiveling tray in your seat and you can get cheese fries and like adult beverages and the whole nine yards so it was pretty great so are they delivering food mid-movie well, you can get it mid-movie, or you can get it uh, at the start of your movie. And so we put in the order right away, and they just delivered it during the trailers for us. So it was wonderful. During that 30-minute period, you got during to During the 30-minute period. <laughs> I know. And then you got to have self-control not to eat it, because the trailers are so dang long. You're like, I should probably save this for the actual film. But Yeah. Uh, forget about peeing. You don't want to pee during the movie. Uh, yeah. You better like... yeah. It's like and an Dan, astronaut's <laughs> Dan got, na- got nachos, and this was the good... I didn't even tell him this, but so this is what happened with Dan's nachos. He was eating it and stuff, and he was fine, and then he decided to wait. I could just... This is all like me observing him from a side glance. And then in the middle of the movie, I could tell he wanted to eat more nachos, but he then realized that it was at that point in the nacho eating where you need some sort of instrument to, you know, scoop it a up. A fork, maybe? It, yeah, a fork. And he did not have one, and there was panic. I could, like, sense the panic in Dan. And so he, here's the pro move. He took his straw from his soda, sucked out the the soda juice, and then just used that as a makeshift spoon. Just oh, this is so gross, man! Boom! <laughs> <laughs> I don't like I don't like that kind of nacho situation. Most people do, so I understand. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is like he wasn't prepared. He but, wasn't but prepared. He, he, but he's he a great improviser. Yes, I was impressed. And uh, I thought you were going to say he was going to suck the nacho cheese <laughs> through the straw. And I was going to throw. Okay, I that's was really throw gross. Up in my mouth. No, <laughs> that's that's disgusting. So that's um, where I thought you were going. <laughs> so Dan, I forgot to tell you that I saw that you did that. But there you go. Now that you're listening, you know. So I when you it. pay seventeen dollars for nachos or whatever, they should give you whole chips. Like you should not get any. Cr- there should be no crumbs. Should be all whole chips. You're right, but inevitably you get to the point where there's just too much cheese and 
stuff in the middle, and you you need something, or else you're going to sully your hands. So it's it's a pretty. I agree. Gloves, maybe should it yeah. hand out yeah, gloves. gloves with nachos <laughs> for those prices, and a second fork for sure. A second fork and gloves. Sorry, this is just us. This is movie because eating in the movies is something that we haven't talked about. Yeah. Not too much. I mean, it can get like a little sketchy in the movies eating. Like you could drop a box of candy and you're out like $9. Oh, yeah. For sure. Uh, We talked about sneaking food in, which we all have done. Mm, Yeah. And the kids combo. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Oh, never mind. mm -hmm. This is our first nacho discussion. This is our first nacho discussion. And the cheese fries. Yeah. I got that. I don't think nachos are appropriate. You don't don't think nachos are appropriate theater food? What about fries? What's the difference? Mm, I don't think things that have like a... Wet topping on them are probably <laughs> ideal. And like, for instance, butter, like on popcorn, it gets soaked up for the most part, right? Yeah, yeah. But the nachos, nothing gets soaked up really by the nachos. It just becomes like a, it becomes like a hazard. And then like, <laughs> let's say somebody wants to get past you. Well, the, they've the, got to like, excuse me. And then you've got to like pick up a nacho container. The good news I mean, on that? that front is there's a huge aisle. Like, I mean, it is, oh. people can go, tons of room. So no worries there. They, you're, you're set. That's true. Yeah, just different, different. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I struggle with that. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so that was my theater experience. And then finally, after all of the food and all of the Oppenheimer madness, we saw the actual film. So let's talk about it. Tim, do you, I don't want to spoil too much about the plot, but like, what would you, how would you describe, if someone's oh, like, no. what the heck, I know, I always do this to you. What the heck is that about? What's, what's a bare minimum like uh, teaser for what this movie's about? <laughs> There's an unexplained thing that's happening in this canyon outside of Los Angeles. And there's a couple residents of that canyon. One is a family who trains theater horses, horses for showbiz. For, for movies, right? Movies, yeah, yeah, yeah They yeah, did yeah. a Scorpion King horse. back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> they're not like horses. in Les Mis or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not singing or dancing or anything uh, or doing Shakespeare. No, they're, uh, they're, they're movie horses. And they were uh, this family that was uh, kind of the mythology of the film is that they were the first person that was even on film was a one of their family members. On a horse. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting, and then that nobody knows about that even. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of their mythology. Then the other people that are in this canyon kind of area, this valley, it's a gentleman who was a kid star who had a really traumatic thing happen on set, and he's kind of has rebuilt his life strangely around that thing to a certain degree. Yeah, and he has like a wild, an old Wild West show that's kind of just really fake looking. So anyway, they're all in the this valley, and a bunch of stuff happens that's mysterious and they're trying to figure it out awesome i love it i mean, what more do you need than that perfect all right as far as acting is concerned you got a familiar face in this one with daniel kalua because he was also the main character in get out he was the yeah. guy so uh, he was great in that film by the way he was nominated for an oscar which i didn't know but he definitely deserves it i mean just like think about that scene you know where like the iconic scene where he's being hypnotized by katherine keener and he's got the the tear rolling down his cheeks and it's just like that shot and like i mean that scene alone proved that he was an actor to watch out for and he was really good in that this one though i don't know i mean uh, so 
what does he have to do in this movie? It's really, it's, you don't have, so he plays OJ, which is basically, so uh, Tim mentioned this black family owned business. Their dad died. And so it's just OJ and his sister Emerald that are kind of keeping this business going and the business is struggling. They're running into financial problems and that's why they're looking for an alternative source of money. But like, so I don't know. What is, is what about Kalu in this movie? I feel like he's in a bad mood. They're in the whole thing and he doesn't have a lot of iconic moments but what do you think what do you think about his performance i feel like he's playing he's playing a socially awkward introvert who's in a family that has to be their show people but he's not a show person but his sister is and his father was and so he has a hard time with that but he's got other strengths because he has this calm resolve that's very like a peaceful resolve about him. Mm-hmm. He almost is, can become invisible in some ways because, and, and so that he has to play this character that I think it's a difficult role. He has to play this highly introverted character who only speaks when absolutely necessary. Yeah. Cause I think that is that character. So I think he does fine with it. I think he has more range than what that character could offer, but I think he was, I mean, I think a lot of discretion to play that character in that way because that's who that character is. So I, so I, I thought he did a good job. Yeah, that's fair. And he was true to his character, and I like that. I like that idea of like him being introverted and surrounded by extroverts, and his very business needs him to be extroverted, and he just can't do it. I guess I would have liked a little bit more of what you just said, like that to feel that in the movie i don't know mm-hmm. like i just for whatever reason i didn't feel like there was a struggle going on with that he just sort of like it kind of felt his performance felt a little monotone to me but i think a lot of it was just the limitations of the character and it's hard because he's the main character so that kind of brings i don't know it's it's a little difficult energy wise with the movie but his sister's really good played by kiki palmer so that's uh, oj's yeah. sister in the movie i thought she was great and she's definitely has a lot more energy and charisma and brings a little bit has some more scenes that like are like yes so as far as acting is concerned i thought she was more of the standout but yeah but i i like that they were like so different and i think that was some one of the things that really stood out to me which was so she's charismatic she's got energy she's got everything that like uh, makes her stand out in the crowd she's able to do that and then he but she won't do any work like she'll, <laughs> right. she just, yeah, yeah. So, so her character won't help with anything, just wants to party all the time. And then his character is always working. Like that's what, the nature of him. He's, 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 he is kind of like old West in that sense, which is, he's like this, he's always working. He only says things when he needs to say things. And it's a certain kind of a cowboy mystique that you get from him. So he plays that like very cowboy. Mm-hmm. which is funny because he's like, yeah, he doesn't function with like the show cowboy stuff at all. <laughs> right. So that's a deep tradition, right? Yeah. So it's just, it's almost like a stoic, hardworking. So when there's a job to be done, he does it. Yeah. And he doesn't talk about it. And so I like that character. You don't see that often. Yeah. And the way that's contrasted with her, right, who's like totally the opposite, but isn't willing to put in the actual effort into keeping the business. That's interesting. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I guess you could argue that they're both main characters. They both have almost an equal share of screen time. So that works. And then having both of them play off each other like that. So, yeah, it's a fair point. 
But that pretty much ends with them. I mean, like what? I mean, I, other standouts acting wise, like I mean, you've got the owner of the rival ranch, who that would probably be, you know, the next one in line. But he doesn't have a ton of things to do. You got the oh, the Circus electronics City guy. type guy. Surprise! Which- <laughs> That's a real place, or it was. Oh, is it? It was when I was yeah in Southern okay. California. So I don't know if it's it might be out of business now. But I forget that actor. But I thought that actor was great. It was okay. I mean, like, what do you? I don't know. It's a goofy role. You're kind of playing the tech guy. It felt a little formulaic to me. But you thought he was great. So why is he there then? Like, what's he? Do you think he's essential for the story? Yeah, but like just to keep the plot machinations going, I don't think he's an essential character as in like this is someone to remember. Like this isn't an iconic character. It's just like he's there to, you know, check on the satellite feeds and, you know, make sure that we're getting to the next plot beat to me. But and maybe you're seeing something so you I don't. don't even think he's I don't know. I, I'm, I was curious what you thought, because like because like, like maybe he's not. Like you might be right. Like maybe he doesn't even need to be in there. But I'm wondering. He he does pl- provide the balance between that other filmmaker. Yeah, that that really like grizzled filmmaker guy who shows up towards yeah, the end. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So he knows how to do a bunch of the electronic stuff, but the other guy shows up and he's yeah. So he, so he's kind of like a contrast of new and old. He's needed for that, but he might not be like a true character. Maybe. Yeah. That's how it felt to me. Felt a little superficial. I don't know. I feel like overall acting wise, I don't think there's anything on the level of like Kalua's performance in get out or the central character in us. I feel like there's just nothing approaching those heights, but you know, it was okay. It was okay. It's, it is kind of ensemble, huh? Yeah. So you have like big, you have like a bunch of big characters yeah, it is. And maybe perhaps the main character is the thing that they're dealing with. What do you mean? So like not it's not a char- the force that they're dealing with. I don't want to blow the Oh, sure, show. sure, sure. You mean like the the main the thing. The thing. Yes. Yeah. Perhaps that's that's the main character. Right. I don't want to be a spoiler apparently. We'll we get there. Everything. We'll get there soon. <laughs> <laughs> we'll spoil things soon. What about the music? Did anything stand out for you there? I did like when Emerald is blasting music on the farm and Peel does that great like it's such a great effect. Yeah, slowing all the music down. Yeah. Yeah, and then all the I think all the play on uh, the uh, digital versus the analog versus the so like the record player is like prominent in this whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. So like that's an old technology. So like technology is like is like so huge in this film. Oh, like yeah. and I haven't read any reviews. I, I haven't I haven't read any. I tried to come in cold actually this time so that I have my own opinions and maybe you've read some and you could help me. Yep. But like technology is big. So like the record player is a main is like a main element. Security cameras an element. The hand cameras are an element film is it just everything like so to me like tech is big here like it's a real it's a significant like kind of theme is going on here which is like what is real what's the true what does it mean to capture something that's interesting mm-hmm. anyway so yeah well he's used the same composer for all three of his movies which is michael abels um, who doesn't have a lot of credits outside of his outside of peel's movies and i thought i don't know i like i feel like i was genuinely freaked out and tense most of this movie so i feel like he did his job in the background you know making me feel that way with the music and i i guess i noticed the music a little bit more in get out in us than this one but i don't know did anything else stand out to you on that one so maybe silence so mm. then and sometimes sometimes I know that that's been used by a lot of directors in horror right yeah so you have like a you have something going on and then uh, right as the action kind of reaches a crescendo the music just turns off 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, and I guess did that happen in Signs? Like with the uh, I was just thinking about Signs in in that way. I think like there's a moment in the cornfield where it's just silence, and all you hear is like a dog barking and like the rustling of the leaves. Yeah, for sure. Silence is a big part of that movie too. And I think it's rare in movies, so rare to have silence that it's it's actually might be more powerful than you know than any of the force there music right, right like what, what, what? <laughs> i mean like just staccato violiny you know uh-huh. strings that's the old school way but i think now it, it may be silence might be the most terrifying thing which what does it say about us oh. <laughs> awesome all right tim well let's get into the heart of it we want to talk about peels writing and directing in this one so now we know what he did with Get Out and Us. What do you think he brings to this movie? Do you think that his writing and directing is on the same level as that? Or is this a step down? What, what are your thoughts? I think it's a... I don't know Us, but I know Get Out. And I feel like this is just a... This is a little less pointed. I think it's more... I think it's more available. I felt like Get Out was more of like a manifesto, right? So it's like, I'm here. I'm going to like play. I'm going to show you my skill. Like I felt like that with Get Out is like, I am not a com- just a comedy sketch writer. I am right. a serious writer. And then when you saw that movie, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's a serious writer. <laughs> Holy moly. This is amazing. In this, it had a more Spielberg where you like – not not as from a writing standpoint, but like uh, where you felt it was, it felt more natural. Like in the pay, this it was things slowly developed. I didn't feel like somebody was trying to show off their chops as much as get out showed off his abilities. This is more like I got the abilities. I'm going to make a film. So I thought it was excellent. I mean, I, I know he made some compromises artistically in this, and we may talk about that at some point. That I think really might. It's a typical thing right now, which is build a franchise. But I think he made some compromises as far as the the actual plot that may have damaged the quality of the movie. We'll talk about that maybe later. No, right. I think I think you're right. Like directing wise, I think he brings it just as much as the other two. I think like like you said, Hitchcock, he's such an expert at building up tension, at like peeling layers slowly so you want to know a little bit more, a little bit more. He gives you these glimpses, right? And so I think like yeah, it directing we're at the same level. I love the stuff with the monkey Gordo. Like I think those scenes are the scariest <laughs> scenes in the movie that whole tragedy that happened back in the day and that's like that's great directing like i love that scene with the owner of the alternate ranch that you talked about steven young's character he like he's talking about because he was the child actor when this tragedy happened and so they're asking him like what happened you know with that monkey went going crazy like what happened and he defers to this snl sketch right and he's like oh if you really want to know you should watch this snl Mm -hmm. sketch and and chris Catan is the monkey and it's hilarious and then but you can totally tell that he's just like siphoning off this trauma and this pain. And then Peel cuts to him under the table with like blood on his face, like at the end of that monologue. Like that's good directing. That's good stuff. Yeah. I, I did like the That put an edge onto the whole thing that I think was needed. And I wonder if that like was built in originally or if he realized that like, okay, this is too simple. I need to add a different, I need another layer to this sandwich here. And so he puts that in and it, it does because that layer mirrors a lot of things. It mirrors the bigger picture, right? The idea is, can you control something that's not controllable? Exactly. Can we uh, take something captive and make it do our will? I mean, so so I, if you want to like do some reaching, you can go, whoa, this sounds a little bit like, you know, and it's cowboy, which is the narrative that we're dealing with. But so, so he's toying with a lot of our narratives. 
So, and then one of them is even like the, uh, the, uh, slavery narrative he's playing, he's toying with too in this. Ooh. Like, so, so the idea of something that, so, to, oh, when you get here, it takes all your power and then you have to uh, be as quiet as you can. And the only way to don't make eye contact and it's like power, like power is big in this movie and you think you have power and then you don't. Right. So like you have to go back to some old school thing to be able to even deal with this entity. So like get rid of the power. Even if you have it, you have to divest it because it's going to get taken from you anyway. And then come, you have to come at it in a new way, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, but you mentioned him running into problems with plot. And I think that is where things get. I think he writes himself into a corner a little bit because, look, I mean, let's just be honest. Alien movies are kind of hard, right? I mean, monster movies are kind of hard because the easy part, not easy, but like the easier part is like showing glimpses of something and like, what is that? What is that? But like, eventually you got to show the goods. Eventually you got to like show us what this is all about. And that's where things can really go off the rails. And that's where I think, I think like the whole third act feels like a mess to me if i'm being totally honest and that's where the movie took a turn to me that just didn't fully recover do you agree with that i think like yeah maybe as a monster movie yeah but the question is because i think what ended up happening was uh the thing that was the threat actually changed let's go into it let's go ahead and give it a little spoiler warning let's let's do it if you don't if you've not seen this movie by now you should watch you should know that we're going to dive into this stuff so you should watch it before you listen to us but in case you're one of those people that are waiting still this is your spoiler warning we're gonna we're gonna go into it all right so obviously what happens the big twist is that it's not a ufo it's actually that thing in the sky is actually the monster that's the creature right there and so yeah, I don't know. So what were you going to say? What, where were you going with that? So anyway, that thing's a predator, right? Yeah. And so it's trying, and basically it's taking all these, it's eating all the horses first off. And the people think that they, if they give it enough horses that the thing will be sated and it'll be okay and they can control it. Well, nope. Uh-uh. It's like a, it's like this kind of apex predator. It's not going to happen. So you, this connects you to like Jurassic Park trimmers. I thought about quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is uh, it's not satisfied. It's got to feed. It is like a beast. It's like a giant creature and it does have rules to it, which was interesting to me. So who better to work with this beast than somebody who works with horses his whole life and has been trained into how do you keep some uh, a horse calm in the midst of flashbulbs and, and uh, movies and all those things. And how do you get them to do what you want? Because you don't have enough power to overpower a horse mm-hmm. as a person. So you have to find different ways to calm the horse, to get the horse to do what you want. So it turns out this introvert has all these abilities and has figured out how do we keep this? How do we deal with this, uh, this huge predatory thing, which initially appears like a UFO, right? Right. And it's hiding in a cloud and then eventually we learn it actually has a different form even and it's, right but it is a creature and i don't i don't hate that idea like i mean it works it's just that i don't know like so like the initial like i like what you're saying before about how like what what's scary about it is that you can't control it right like i think that's mm-hmm. innately what's scary about a lot of things like i'm scared of spiders because they're ugly and i have no idea what the heck they're doing all the time like why where is it going what is it going to jump out at me is it going to crawl in my ear like i don't know what their mission is i don't know what they want from me and that's scary it's the same thing with uh you know anything sharks or monkeys like gordo and which but see, that's kind of the problem is i feel like the monkey is the scariest thing in this movie, and it's way scarier than the alien. And that, to me, is a problem. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think there's a certain problem to it. I also, 
you know, as I'm thinking, as even we're talking right now, you're, you're, I was realizing the thing that has power is not the thing that's the most intellectual, the most sophisticated. The thing that has power just has raw power. Uh-huh. And so what I'm seeing is like the kind of the heroes in this have to figure out how to deal with that raw power, you know, so they don't die. Like that theme, like really resonates throughout this film. How do we deal with this raw power so it doesn't destroy us? Okay. And then it, they actually are more sophisticated. It's like people are more sophisticated than the chimps. And then like the uh, folks in the Valley are actually end up being more intelligent, more sophisticated than the alien force. Right. Right. Which is the opposite of what most of those alien movies would say, which is the aliens are more sophisticated than we are. And this would say, no, they're not. But, but is the alien scary? And isn't that a problem that it's not, it, it isn't. Did you find it scary? Like this big blob in the sky, just kind of flying around. Like, uh, I think this is all right. So let's go to the scary. Okay. Right. I'm with you. I'm going to go here with you. So I like the themes more than I'm enjoying this. <laughs> I know you like I this concept, the but like, oh, is it a, viscerally yeah, yeah, scary? Yeah. I don't know. I think it's scary the first two times. And then when it becomes like familiar, like it's a, your uncle or something walking in the room, it's not scary anymore. Yeah. It becomes too familiar. I think, I think there's something about having something be, you have to have something really familiar that has a twist or something that is totally unfamiliar. Those are the things that are the things that freak us out. Yeah. Like, you know, Polar Express animation freaks me out because it almost <laughs> looks like a person, but n- but it has like blank eyes, right? Yeah. Or, uh, and I think there's something to that. Like, so all these exorcism movies, people walk crab walking around with like dark eyes. They Uh they look like almost like people, but not quite. So I think there's something freaky about that. I think the alien becomes almost like, Oh, there he goes again. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And it's something about, I think the fact that, it's too distant, like the fact that it's in the sky. Like, because I was trying to think, like, okay, because part of me was like, is it that it's not relatable? Is it that, like, it's not like a monk? Like, why is the monkey more scary? Is it because we just understand what monkeys are and we don't understand what this alien creature is? But then I'm like, no, because at the end of Alien, like the, you know, with Sigourney Weaver, like the first one, like, that's really scary. And that, we don't understand anything about that alien. But, like, there's something about the claustrophobia of that final battle that Ridley has on. On this ship with the alien and there's no way out the same thing with jaws when they're stuck on the ship so there's like there's a tension that comes from this sort of like small environment and i think there's something about it being just up in the air somewhere day i don't know like it didn't work for me Ugh. it's lacking it's lacking some some like scariness yeah. I, I think that's true i think that's true i i think the suspense is better than the scary mm-hmm. i think they i think he does show too much so show less and, and I think that would make it scary because I think we get terrified of what we can't see. If we're co- beginning to comprehend this and it has, and it does have all those rules, it's not as scary to us. So yeah, I agree with you on that. I guess it wasn't like, it's not visually scary. It doesn't have the claustrophobia is a good way to put that. Yeah. So I, I, I think even with good sound, like I had great sound in the theater I was in mm, and yeah. it wasn't like, I didn't get freaked out one time in the movie. Like I didn't go, Oh, you know, freak, <laughs> right, like, right. like, Oh my gosh. I think I got more, I was thinking the whole time, but I don't think I was like taking kind of into that fight flight at all, which I think good movies probably do. So I agree with you. I'm going to, I'm going to totally agree with you on this. Okay. I totally agree with you that it does lack some of that kind of the viscera, right? The guts of this thing where it's not, it's just not as scary as some movies. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like, t- 
it needs to just feel satisfying. Like I don't need to be like terrified. I just the for whatever reason that last like thirty minutes and the final reveal and all of their interactions with the thing just didn't feel satisfying to me and it felt like just I don't I don't know. It didn't feel worthy of the build up, which he's so good at. He's so good at like ramping things up to eleven and making you anticipate, anticipate, anticipate. And I feel like in the first two movies the payoff was worth it and this one it wasn't. But So I think like in the original script and I think he got talked into changing it that the characters die. All of them? Yeah, but they get the proof. So if you look at the, the structure, doesn't it make more sense that they get the proof, but they all die? That's way better. He totally should have done that. And I mean, what yeah. are you talking about with franchise? Like, are they really trying to like sequel They're this trying thing? To, so somebody talked him into, this is why we need a redux of this movie, right? Yeah. yeah so if he dies... And all there is is a single or basically what they were taking was a a series of photos of this thing at the end through the well. Yeah. So if they all die and they all get murdered by this force, but they have that series of photos, it's actually a lot like the first scene where you have a series of photos. Those were taken with tripwires, like those original ones Mm -hmm. that look like motion, but give proof that, oh, look, that's how because the horse thing is shows you how a horse ran. It was the first time people learned how a horse could actually run. They're like, look. All four of the feet are up at once. They didn't know that before that photo. They're like, how could that be? Yeah. And they go, oh my gosh, they proved it. The horse actually has all four feet off of the ground at one point in the gallop. So to me, it's like that parallels, like that concept of taking those still photos of that, of the alien parallels the horse pictures. Yeah. And so like it makes more sense if they all, if they're, if they all die, but they get the proof. And it would be way more satisfying. Way as like better a, movie. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. So to me, it's like, this is where franchises could, it's greed basically. It's like killing the movie, killing the good plot, I think. But you know, what do I know? That is frustrating. Whenever money gets involved, Tim, I tell you, they, you know, war, uh, HBO just merged with Discovery, and they're already they're making cuts, and all of a sudden they're in debt. You know, HBO Max is in debt and everything. Even though HBO is the highest customer satisfaction of any streaming service, they're starting to cut shows because they're in debt. And so when money gets involved, then you start making decisions from that instead of good artistic decisions. And that's really frustrating to hear that he kind of got talked into that because I, I agree, It'd be a much better movie if you had that kind of tragedy at the end it would have been a much more fulfilling character arc for all of them Ugh, missed opportunity bummer yeah i think so too i think it would have been it would have bookended much better because what they're trying to do is be the first to do something which is the same as like that photographer was the first to show like it was stop motion basically but the first one in the 1880s to create something that looked like a film right right and so they're trying to be the first people to film an alien and so to me, it would have been like, because both of those would change the world eventually. And both of them would have been African-Americans doing those, like being at right. the heart of those things with horses. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. which, yeah, but I, I still think it's kind of like a genius work. Is it scary? Probably not as scary as like, if you wanted to go see just a straight jump scare, crappy movie, you could probably see one. Well, it doesn't have to be jump scare, crappy to be legitimately, I, it's more entertainment value to me than scary. That's what I think is lacking at the end, in the end. All right, I'll go with you. I think that you do sat he did sacrifice that four theme, but it should have ended differently. It should have. We can both agree on that. 
Absolutely. You know, one filmmaker that Peel reminds me a lot of is M. Night Shyamalan. We already talked about Signs. It's interesting because Shyamalan and Peel's careers are sort of like paralleling each other because Shyamalan burst on the scene with The Sixth Sense, which is like still one of my all-time favorite movies. And that was like his first thriller. Now, he did make, as compared to Peel, Shyamalan did make two movies before that, but they were just like indie comedies that no one remembers no one's seen so whatever in my in my mind Shyamalan's first movie is The Sixth Sense so let's just go with it so they both come on the scene with these two thrillers and then their name becomes an event right like you remember back in the day like a new Shyamalan mm-hmm. movie was like you go see that because you are entrusting this filmmaker to put you on a journey and give you a ride and thrill you and that's how it was for Shyamalan for a long time and then so there was kind of their first movies into that territory and then their second movies they both diverged like Shyamalan made Unbreakable which was a total divergence from the sixth sense and Peel did the same thing with us he wasn't trying to make it out too he like actually like went in a different direction and then in their third movies technically they both make alien movies Shyamalan made Signs as his third and Peel is making this one and so there's a lot of parallels there and it's interesting because it's like where will he go from here I wonder because like Shyamalan we know where he went he did another thriller The Village and by that point people were just fed up with like his twists and his whole like shtick and then he was done he just like fell off the map lady in the water was a disaster and he he didn't hear from him for 15 See, years i like i like all those movies but i think i like them because of the concept i think you're right i think that there's a certain thing that where the success gives you license and then uh you'll use that license as a as if you're a writer director i think a director director doesn't do that i think a i think at some point the director uh, you kind of see who are these guys are these people, are they more writer directors? Are they more director directors? I think Peel is obviously a writer director. Yeah. I mean, he's just, and I think Shyamalan, same way, right? They love oh, yeah. stories. At some point when they already think that they're successful, they know they're successful, they can compromise the story. They can compromise the film because they want to get a theme in or they want to develop a character and they'll do it because they can. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, because they, they I like the film better this way, not is this a better film? Mm-hmm. And you see it in the village. You see it in a lot of stuff. Now, I liked. I actually like, even like Lady in the Water. So, you did. Wow. Oh, yeah. Controversial opinion. Yeah. I haven't had a whole lot I didn't like from him. But yeah, he lost his sort of event card status forever after like kind of petering out. So I wonder what direction Peel will go from here because like I have a feeling people might be somewhat disappointed if, if maybe maybe or maybe I'm just like totally out of left field with that. But like I wonder if he crack if he buckles down, makes another thriller like The Village, or whether he goes in a completely different direction. But their parallel tracks so far are interesting, and I, it just feels like one thing that's hard is like maintaining your name being an event. It feels like that inevitably is going to peter out at some point or maybe it won't so we'll see all right let's get into some themes and uh, wrap this thing up here so we already mentioned some what are some things that stood out for you tim because you've already, I know you already mentioned some but we can go back to some other things you're talking about or what what's the main thing that you think is peel's trying to accomplish here it's kind of like a cautionary tale of like don't try to tame something that is wild be careful how you negotiate with something that's incredibly powerful because you might think you can and maybe you can't. And then I'd also think like we talked about with the capturing things, you know, what's the burden of proof for a reality? I mean, I think yeah. that's a big topic right now. So, you know, what's fake, what's real. And what do we have to do in order to like actually prove that something is real? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like the curse of having these phones in our pocket, right? It's like everywhere we go, we feel like we got to document stuff. And it's like when we're at a restaurant, it's like it's not really worth it's not really worthy unless we've actually taken a picture of it and we've shared it. Same with a concert. 
And uh, there's that impulse in all of us, I guess, which isn't bad. I mean, we want to like, you know, we want to preserve stuff to look back. I love going back and looking at, you know, videos of my kids when they're, you know, little and stuff like that's fun. But like it can take you out of the present and keep you from enjoying the sacredness of a moment for sure. Yeah. But like even like I agree with that. I agree that we have the phones everywhere. And then you get the idea of like, well, how many... And this gets like, you know, more into like, cause I'm, I think about his traditional kind of thing is he's challenging the system usually. And so I look at, well, how many times do we have to watch someone get murdered by cops to go, well, maybe there's something wrong. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the way that it's only, it, it, that, that it only seems to, there seems to be any accountability when you have the video footage, right? Like, like what everyone talked about with George Floyd, that never, you never would have seen convictions from those cops if someone hadn't been filming the whole thing. So the, the, the idea of like the filming of something becomes as powerful as, so it's like, yeah, so that it's very powerful. And so everyone is trying to film this thing and it's, yeah, everybody. And it has, and you have to go back to this old way of doing things to even get the, Oh, it, 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 it really did happen. Yeah. So what's the burden of proof to say something occurred? I was at this campground because, so we got our, we got our minivan a couple or about a year and a half ago because our boys officially graduated from our Honda Accord in the back seat. They couldn't fit in there anymore. So we got this minivan and we wanted to like test it out. And so we went to this campground. We reserved a spot on this campground just to sleep in our van overnight, which was a terrible idea. It was the worst night of sleep I've ever had in my life. But <laughs> anyway, like, so what happened was all of a sudden I look outside and there's like these lights that are like circling around and there's like patterns and they're like all in motion or whatever. I'm like, what is that? And so I tell my family and they look and stuff and it's like, are those aliens? Those have to be aliens, right? And so like then I like we pointed out to the fellow campers, everyone's pointing at the sky. People are whipping out their phones. I try to take a video and it's so dark, nothing happens, but like I there's that instinct that's like no one's going to believe me unless I capture this thing and because I can say all along, you know, in the next day that I saw these things in the sky and be like, "Okay, whatever." But like if I could capture it, right? But it did that didn't end up working out. Now they tell me the next day that that is the Starlink satellite. Elon Musk's Starlink satellites is what those were, but pff, I don't know, man. Maybe. <laughs> so you might have seen a UFO. <laughs> Probably well, not. Did. But I'm telling you, it was weird, and it was like the craziest thing I have ever seen. And like I, I, again, I wish I had evidence to show you that it didn't feel like satellites to me. But anyway, so that's that impulse in action right there. Yeah, and then the questioning of something that is... The questioning of a visual. Mm-hmm. Oh no, that's not it. That can't be real. You know, the cloud didn't move in like uh, you know two weeks. Oh, but you know, whatever. We need more. We need more. We need yeah. more. So like, so that the constant like burden of proof while this thing's killing people, we need more evidence. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You're like, don't we have enough evidence here? No, no. We need more evidence of this. You know, some theologians like posture that God chose to incarnate himself as Jesus back in Roman times because you had this empire that was going to like write about Jesus in their official writings, which did happen with Josephus and all that. And then there was this rich oral tradition that was going to preserve it through their oral tradition and then eventually write it down accurately. And that's what they, why they say, why was Jesus born in those times? Because a lot of people counter that and say, well, why wasn't Jesus born in 2022 when everyone has a cell phone and everyone can be like this dude's turning water into wine with my iPhone 14 but I think that like 
it would be a disaster if Jesus was born in this time. I feel like we would constantly, we are, this is the worst time because like we are so polarized. Like you said, we can't keep track of what's real and what's not. Like everyone will be pouring over this footage and be like, no, it's fake because if you look right here at like screenshot 34, you know, this thing's mm-hmm. happening and you can, I mean, we even have like, right now deep fake technology you know that you know can make like and put an actor's face on you know another person's body and like say things that they didn't say so i just feel like yeah this is we live in a time where where reality and truth are really like almost lost like we can't agree on any of it well i mean look at the so the idea was like like so this gets into the reality and truth right so that the movies have gotten rid of the horses because the horses are too dangerous and they've gotten rid of the chimps because the chimps are too dangerous and so all the truth basically they've gotten rid of these true things because they're too dangerous and replace them with like these cgi you know, okay, if you want to have these, we can't work with chimps anymore because of this incident. Okay, the horses are hard to work with, so we can, without a, you know, we don't have to give a, a mechanical horse a break. <laughs> so the idea being like that, that we'll settle for the false because the false is more convenient. Yeah. And even in our, in our movies, right? So like uh, we talked about Top Gun a couple podcasts ago and hey, a lot of that footage was real and it felt real and, but some of it wasn't, but what made it powerful was the stuff that was so, so I think there's something to that as far as film goes. And I think that there is something that we're, we can't always spot the fake, but I think that the real is like becoming more and more important, yeah. even though it's less and less employed. You know, one thing with Dan and I were talking about on our way home from the theater was uh, that apparently a lot of the critics, he, he's, he's obsessed with reviews, by the way. Uh, he reads them all. He reads them before he sees the movie. He's like, reads oh, all geez. about it. I'm like, I don't even understand. He that. poisoned himself, man. <laughs> he did. But what he said, one of the things that they talk about a lot extensively was spectacle 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 about how we are sort of we are there's something in us that hungers for something beyond the norm something fantastical and i do think there's definitely something built into us like that you can say that god built that into us perhaps something that is beyond reality i mean you could even say that like if we believe that there is a kingdom of god that is you know all around us or a different reality that we're supposed to be striving for every day that that's that built-in hunger for that but i feel like a danger there is this idea that like oh we're built for something else than this world so then you get into this dualism of like i'm living now for something beyond the physical whereas i i think that one of the the best ways to get in touch with god to get in touch with real like spirituality is to actually find the sacredness in the ordinary is instead of like trying to document that cheesecake on your phone to actually just enjoy every bite and every ingredient in that thing. Right. When you're having a conversation with a friend, it's like we've talked about in the past, instead of trying to think about what you're going to say next, enjoying the sacredness of soul to soul connection. So I, for me, it's not so much like, Oh, we're built for something beyond all of this. It's more like we're built to, to find the sacredness and not just consider anything as ordinary. And that I think is where there's real power there. And like be in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. So versus like, oh, we got to, ca- you know, even the capturing theme is like, we got to capture this so that we can show someone. I was reading um, Travels with Charlie. I don't It's a st- old Steinbeck novel about going across America. And he observes a bunch of things, including the beginning of like civil rights and stuff. Hmm. And he writes that some people go on vacation. He's talking about wealthy people from the East Coast. Some people go on vacation so they can go back. <laughs> and tell everybody where they went. Yeah. And I, I thought that was like, it's kind of accurate. Like we kind of live like that now. And this is pre all of this. Right. So this is in the early sixties. 
and, and I begin to think about it, like some of us, including me live for, so we can go back and show people. So it's like, we kind of like, we don't actually, we're not actually there. We're living for doc, like showing people that we were there. Yeah. And there's some of that in the film, but I think that there, we also miss out on the being in the moment. Like, how can we, if we're documenting the moment all the time, are we, are we in the moment? Yep. You know, I'm seeing Jack White tonight, uh, which I'm super Ooh. excited about. He's, he's coming to Milwaukee and I'm seeing him. And so I'm pumped, but he has a rule. You, when I go into the venue, I'm going to have to put my phone in a sealed locked container that I can then put in my pocket or whatever. But like, I will not have access to my phone for the whole show. And he enforces that for everybody specifically to force us all to be in the moment at his shows, which is yeah, I love it. is interesting. So he's pushing back against that whole like you know got to record it for the future or whatever. But. Yeah, and he and he can't control his narrative if you are looking at something else. Like just like we've talked about in the past, like when you can bake a cake and watch a movie at the same yeah. time, like you really aren't watching the movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I really have been more and more after I spent two weeks with no cell phone coverage. Wow, this this summer. That's so freeing, isn't it? Yeah, I had the ability to text message once a day. So I had no, I couldn't send a photo. I couldn't check anything, no email, anything. But I could tell, you know, once a day, I'm like, I'm alive, honey. (laughs) You know, and that's about it. And it became, yeah, it was incredibly freeing. Yeah, it just became, I sat with my own thoughts. It was so weird. But it did feel like, oh, I'm not a, I'm not a captive anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I felt like I, this thing doesn't run me. I, I can actually live. So I don't know if we can go back, if I'm being an antiquarian, if I'm uh, not living into, I mean, obviously we're on a digital platform that's people are going to stream on their phone right, right now right. or computer. So like, you know, I'm not internally consistent on this, but it did feel like, I did feel a degree of freedom that I hadn't felt in many years to not, just not having a cell phone access or no internet access. I think that's the paradox is that we, you see the benefits in all of this technology, like obviously, like I want to be able to upload a check through my phone. I want to be able to text Tim when he's in Germany. So like mm-hmm. the benefits are there, but what is it doing to us? I feel like when you do take that break, that intentional break, you do realize how enslaved you are. Just even the notifications that pop up and it's like, oh, this news story that I don't really need to be thinking about, but now I am because or whatever. And like, so yeah, I, they, they've expertly created these devices knowing how our brains work and they are they have plugged into us. And I think taking... We don't need to all be Luddites. We don't need to like throw out the baby with the bathwater, but taking intentional steps every day to hone in on the present moment, to hone in on the sacredness of the ordinary is I think our task, especially as Christians and well, all of us really. Yeah, I, I agree. I, one of the, that, the dinner with Andre, one of the characters summarizing a philosophy, he describes like the modern, this is in 1981. He's like describing the cultural condition, which is not anywhere near what it is now. It's very different. But he says, oh, yeah, uh, we've become, in our society, we've become both the inmate and the guard. And I, and I was thinking about that as far as it relates to being online and phones and, and our computers. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we are the inmates and we are the guards. Yeah. And so, like, how can this, like, how can this exist? Like, it can't coexist because it creates, like, a, like a dissonance in us. Yeah. We are choosing our own prisons. And we know yeah. that we're in it. But... We do not want to leave. Yeah. But it also in that same, fl- this is a different film, but the same, that, that same film I, that I just, I just, it's recent. So I have it in my head, 
you can't also, you can't just leave like, cause that's not like realistic. Nobody can just leave and like go on some, like, you know, go live in the woods all the time. Like we, because the woods aren't any less real than, you know, where we're living now, you know? So I, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's not simple like that. Exactly. Like, you know, you think of movies like Captain Fantastic or it's like, Oh, the solution is I'll just take my kids and we'll go into the woods and we'll live this alternative lifestyle. And it's like, that doesn't work either. So yeah. So navigating, I wonder like how we navigate, I guess in our, in our, in this era where we're kind of living disembodied lives. So how do we like people of faith? How do we do that? Like, how do we, how do we know when to like, just shut it off and how do we know when to go, okay, well I got to engage culture too. I mean, it gets kind of back into that. And then we're also self-deceptive. So we're the guards, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think it, you know, like anything, it's a, we need to try to avoid fundamentalism on both sides of, of the aisle and uh, just try to find some sort of balance there, but it's tricky and there's no, there's no flow chart that makes it easy. <laughs> oh man. Sorry. This guy like real heavy, real quick. <laughs> real heavy, Whoa. Real dark. All right. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's bring it back. Hey guys. We'll do a different movie next time. <laughs> it's <laughs> <any> more fun. <laughs> so, Tim, what are your final thoughts on Nope and your letter grade? Go. Uh, B, good movie. Excellent. I wish they'd kept the original ending, or at least what I'm understanding to be the original ending. I don't know what that would look like, but I wish it had ended differently so it would be a little more bookend and it would be more. I like the thematic. Don't come in here thinking you're going to watch it. That's not happening. This is more of a, yeah, Shyamalan is exactly what you, the way you describe it. It's more that direction. So, and I, I think it's so great because open to interpretation. So you can really talk about this film with people. So maybe go with some friends and, or if you've already seen it, watch it again and talk with somebody about it and see what they think. Cause I'd love, I'd love to hear some different ideas, not just us, you know, it'd be cool to hear some different ideas. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, I want to apologize, first of all, for not getting Jordan Peele before this. I'm so excited that I rewatched his movies and I'm on board with him now. But yeah, I will say that his third film is a little bit of a disappointment. It's not... It's losing some of that entertainment value, some of that satisfaction in the end, though I would say the first two-thirds about as masterful as anything he's ever done. But yeah, definitely agree with Tim. They should have kept that original ending. I would agree with him. B. That, that is it. That is my grade two. It is a straight B for me. And so, and that's disappointing because I feel like he was, you know, right in line with that A, A minus of the first two. And then it just kind of didn't land the plane, Tim. So a lot of times we say, don't go, like we say, if it's an A, we say, go see it in the theater, go see it right now. If you haven't seen it, this would be a B movie that I would say, go see it in the theater because of the subject matter. Sure. Yeah. So yeah you yeah. need a big format to watch this at all. Almost. Right. Like it's going to uh, lose so it. much on your phone or on, on TV. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping I had a bigger screen. I was like, cause I watched this a little later. I mean, it was still a huge screen, but it wasn't big enough. I thought it could have been in a even bigger screen. And it would have done better. Yep. All right. So that is Nope. It is still playing in a theater near you. And we both recommend that you see it in that format. Go mm -hmm. see Nope and then come talk about it. Because as Tim said, we'd love to hear your thoughts instead of just ours. And you will see things that we haven't. So write into us. The email address is podcast at cinemafaith.com. Podcast at cinemafaith.com. Tell us your thoughts. We'll read them on the air and we'll talk about them. So great. So next month is September I don't know, Tim. We're kind of out of the whole like event summer movie thing, so we might have to find some 
indie again to talk about much to everyone. We're going to have to find something that will get nominated for uh, <laughs> an Oscar. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that oh, is what bummer. I'm saying. I know. It's going to be rough. We're entering that prestigious fall uh, movie season where it's going to start ramping up with that Oscar stuff. So it's going to get a little more. I want an independent theater near me, which I don't have. So I know that's going to be tricky. But the one saving grace, Tim, might be streaming because the, oh. the window. I know. But the window between theatrical screenings and streaming is so small now that honestly we'd only have to wait a couple weeks and you'll be able to pop it on your netflix or whatever which i know is all sad, right all but... right so get a bigger tv is that the message of this <laughs> that's right you guys need a bigger tv you need to hold you need a screen like in 1984 where it's a whole wall <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how far away is your nearest indie theater that would be playing like obscure films probably probably 35 minutes maybe. Uh, that's not that far well but still you got to really plan your day around that i just got to miss the previews yeah yeah there you go <laughs> i'll get there right on time it will actually save me time Awesome. Well, we will find something to dive into next month. But Tim, in the meantime, it's great to have you back. Thanks for making time for us again. And I'm glad you got away on vacation. That's so important. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Keep the faith, my friends. We will see you next time.